Blessings one and all, and welcome to The Mystic Fire. I'm Paul James Caden, and today I would like to talk to you about tradition versus modernism. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Some of you probably already have an idea of what that means. Um, some maybe not. But I'll, I'll just break it down this way, what I, what I want to discuss in this message is ancient Christianity and how it stacks up to what is now modern Christianity, how we now practice our faith, how we now believe. Because many of the things we believe and many of the practices we have in modern Christianity is really so far removed from what the ancients practiced that if we could invent a time machine and bring some of the ancient Christians into the modern world, they wouldn't even recognize the faith. They would probably be absolutely horrified and say, the devil rules the day. The, the Antichrist is alive and well. This, this is the last days. Uh, these people have, uh, you know, committed so much heresy. Uh, you know, look what they do. Look what they say. Look how they practice. Look what they've abandoned in the faith. And, you know, ladies and gentlemen, that's really something important to consider. At least I think so. So I want to start this message out by saying if you're watching this podcast on YouTube or any of the other video platforms, uh, you're probably seeing on your screen about this time uh, a picture of an altar. And if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms that is just audio, uh, I'll leave a link to the YouTube video if, if you want to go and look at the altar. It's not necessary because I'll explain uh, what's on there. Uh, but this is actually my um, personal little altar that I have on top of a bookshelf in my office. And I'm talking about this altar because what's on that little altar is kind of the centerpiece of what we're going to be talking about here, at least most of what we're going to be talking about. And uh, of course, front and center, if you're not looking at a picture of the altar, there is the crucifix. It's a small kind of orthodox looking crucifix. On one side is a statue of, or a little figurine rather, of the Sacred Heart of Mary. On the other side is a figurine of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. There's also a, a small figurine of Saint Benedict. And there's a little golden, I guess you could call it a, a holder in the front of the altar. And in that holder is unleavened bread for communion. And there's also a small wooden chalice that I will put grape juice in uh, when I do take communion um, at my little altar space. 
So I, I, I kind of want that, whether you can imagine it in your mind or if you're looking at the picture, it, it doesn't matter either way. I just want to focus on some of the things that are on the altar and talk about them. And I want to just kind of focus in first and foremost on the little golden container with the unleavened bread for communion. You know, there are, and some of you may have heard this uh, out there. I've heard it uh, quite a number of times on my journeys through the, the modern world where people will say, oh my gosh, don't take communion. It is an evil, sacrilegious, cannibalistic blood ritual that has nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with Christ. And it was actually instituted by these false Christians, the elitists, the corruptors, who infiltrated Christianity and kind of brought this pagan blood cannibalistic ritual with them and turned it into the communion rite. But it's not Christian at all. And I've heard people say, oh, geez, you know, I used to take communion all the time. I would go to church or I was, you know, Roman Catholic or Orthodox. And I don't go to church anymore. After I heard this, I didn't know. They thought they were, you know, going and doing something wrong, partaking in some uh, blood ritual that was occultic and, you know, evil paganism. Well, the truth of the matter is that that particular idea about communion being a cannibalistic blood ritual has come out of the modern day conspiracy cults where everything is looked at as being suspicious. They, they, they usually say everything you believe, everything you think you know about the world we live in is a lie. Everything is kind of an illusion. Everything is tarnished. There's hidden meaning behind everything. And everything becomes under suspicion, under the cloud of suspicion. Now, the danger with that is, and I, I talk about this in my other podcast uh, quite a bit, it, on the spirit side, that's the name of the uh, my other podcast. That's the danger with that kind of mindset. Because if everything you know is a lie, if everything you thought you believed is under suspicion, then your faith is a lie. Your faith can be under suspicion. What you thought you believed in and what was correct about your faith could be absolutely wrong. And then when you are taught that, if you believe that, then what kind of religious error are you going to journey into? 
because they pulled the rug completely out from under you by telling you this. But the truth of the matter is the communion meal is not a cannibalistic blood ritual that was brought in by false Christians or people looking to uh, bring darkness and evil into Christianity. The communion meal was something that the very early Christians did before there was even a Roman Catholic church. Because church in those days, before there was even a written gospel, they would gather in homes and they would pray and they would tell the oral traditions, the oral stories that were passed down about the life of Christ and the miracles that he did and the things that he taught. And at the end of that meeting, they would break bread and they would eat and they would drink wine. They would take part in what they called the Lord's meal or the Lord's supper. And it was very sacred to the early Christians. Now they didn't look at it like they were pulling apart, you know, the literal body of Jesus and feasting on his flesh. You know, it, it, it wasn't something that morbid and twisted that some of these modern people kind of read into it. But they did believe that the presence of Christ was in the communion meal. But it was present to remind them to continue to walk in the faith, to keep a clean heart and a pure soul before God. Confess your sins before God before you partake of the holy meal. If you've wronged someone, if you had a problem with someone in your neighborhood, in the congregation, in the house where you gathered, make it right. Talk to the person. Get all that darkness out of your mind and off of your soul. And then come to the communion meal where your state of grace is renewed in the sacrifice of Christ. It was a very holy and sacred thing to the early Christians. And so may I say, you know, how, how dare some people look at that and say that this is something that's vulgar or wrong or evil or blasphemous. As I said earlier, if we could go back in time and bring back some of the early Christians to the modern world, that would be one of the things they would be absolutely <laughs> no doubt aghast over. They go to these churches, they, they gather, and they don't even partake in the Lord's Supper anymore. It's absent from the congregations, what has happened to them. Because it was central to their gatherings and their worship. Let's, if we may, move our attention or 
our attention and our imagination to the figurines on the altar, the statue or the figurine of Mary and of St. Benedict. And some people would say, oh my goodness, why do you have that? You know, that's, that's blasphemous. That's, that's a Catholic thing. Why, why would you have something like that? Again, we have this notion, uh, as some call it, praying to the saints is absolutely wrong. We're only supposed to pray to God or to Christ or to God through Christ. And this is an absolute pagan, heretical thing to do, to petition saints and dead people in heaven. That's something that the Catholics made up, and, and it is wrong, and it is evil. Well, the truth of the matter, once again, is that the Catholics didn't make it up. You see, folks, the Catholic Church, no matter how many scandals that it's had, no no institution is perfect. They're run by men. They have problems because politics and perversity and all these things enter in. But all that aside, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church are the only two institutions that brought with them many of the old traditions of the ancient Christians. That's why you hear Orthodox and Catholics say scripture and tradition or the Christian tradition because they hold to the practices and the belief systems and the rites of the very early church before it was a Roman Catholic church or an Orthodox church. But the funny thing with Protestantism as many of us have broken away or never even visited or understood a Catholic or an Orthodox church. We look at it and go, what are they doing? My pastor said that was evil and that was wrong. And it is because look what they're doing. That, that's so anti-biblical. And we don't even realize what we're looking at. We don't even realize what we're saying because a lot of those things were traditions of the past. And the petitioning of saints. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't things added to some of these traditions. Of course there are. Of course, like any institution run by a fallible, sinful man or human beings those errors are going to creep into the institution. But there's still a lot of rich tradition there that if we did a little digging, we would find out was absolutely precious to the ancient Christians. And we've forgotten all about it or we've never heard about it or we've just thrown it all away because somebody told us it was evil and it wasn't biblical. So now again, getting back to this idea of petitioning saints for prayer, 
the early, early Christians absolutely petitioned saints and martyrs for prayer. Now, the difference is they didn't pray to them, Oh, Mary, help me. Oh, Saint, somebody answer my prayer. You know, that, that is a misconception. What they were doing were petitioning the saints and martyrs for prayer. So it was really no different than us on the earth now asking one another to pray. If I had a problem, I said, gee, could you pray for me? I'm, I'm having a problem or, you know, someone in my family is sick. Could you pray for me or put me on your prayer list? It was no different because the idea to the ancient Christians were the saints and the martyrs were in the presence of God. And so if they petitioned them and said, Saint, somebody, could you pray for me? Could you help me? That if that saint or that martyr, somebody that gave their life for their faith, for Christ, was directly in the presence of God and prayed for you, then that was a very powerful thing. And the ancient Christians would many times go to the grave sites or even down into the catacombs uh, in Rome where some of the uh, you know, early saints and apostles were uh, allegedly buried and they would ask for prayer. They would ask their heavenly brothers and sisters to pray for them in the direct presence of God. And sometimes they would take communion at these grave sites. Sometimes they would leave a little thanks offering of a biscuit or a lighted candle or flowers, just a way to say, hey, thank you. And it's where a lot of these traditions have come from. So this is not something that Rome made up years later just to throw a big wrench of heresy and deception into the Christian faith. No, this was a tradition that they brought with them from the early Christian faith. Another thing you see a lot of uh, in modern Christianity is this full-on assault against mysticism. Oh, God, mystics, mysticism. That's from the devil. That's not Christianity. If someone says that they are a Christian mystic or practice Christian mysticism in the presence of an evangelical or a fundamentalist or, you know, any of these uh, kind of groups, uh, right away the, the eyes bulge and the jaw drops because, oh my God, you're not into that, are you? Well, once again, this is something that shows how far away we've gotten from ancient and real Christianity because many of the saints and martyrs, many of the heroes of the faith of the ancient Christ, of the ancient Christians were mystics. They had visions, they had direct experiences with the presence of God in their lives. They would sit and meditate on scripture and on the presence of Christ or on the presence of Christ in the Holy Communion meal. 
and they would have moments of ecstasy. So mysticism was something that the early Christian church was very much familiar with, and it was not frowned upon in any way, shape, or form. I would venture to, venture to say that if a modern Christian went back in time to their era and said, what you're doing is wrong, it's anti-biblical, it's, it's, they would probably be excommunicated driven out from the church because you know this was the faith these were the practices this was the way this was what Christianity was and the funny thing about it is that the early teachings were this is the faith and in the last days people will start to depart from it and when you start to see people departing from this and following other traditions and discarding these sacred rites and beliefs, then you know the time of the end or the time of Antichrist would be at hand. And we've gotten so far away from those things in our modern world, in our modern Christianity, if we can even call it Christianity anymore. And what's really bizarre is that back in the days of the Reformation, when we look at people like Martin Luther or John Calvin as being heroes of the faith, there were many people in Catholic and Orthodox traditions that were very concerned because the more years that went on, the more of these ancient traditions were discarded. And even though most Catholics now look at Protestants as fellow believers, the Orthodox Church always has they, their policy is you don't judge anybody. It's, it's not your place to say anybody's going to hell or anything of that nature. Because God will accept whom he will accept, and God will pardon and forgive whom he will pardon and forgive. But they looked at this movement and said, this is going to lead to the great apostasy in the end. Because as more and more time goes on, the farther and farther away Protestantism gets from old ancient Orthodox Christianity. And, boy, they were right. They were right. It was the Baptists that gave birth to the Pentecostals and so on and so forth, you know, until we get to the Evangelicals and then the Fundamentalists. And from the Evangelical and the Fundamentalists have now sprang the conspiracy cults. Because that's essentially where they came from. That's their motherland is evangelical and fundamentalist Christianity. And we're seeing these people saying that it's the last days and there's a great evil rising. The beast system is coming. The Antichrist is coming. But some of them are preaching that they need to take up arms and go to war with the beast system. 
You know, others are teaching other very strange doctrines that it's Christ in us alone that will bring peace on earth, that we will be the ones who will conquer. And they don't really say whether that's a spiritual conquering or going to war physically like some of these other groups teach. But see, this kind of thing is absolutely wrong because they've gotten so far away from the ancient truth. And the ancient truth teaches us that these things will happen and this evil will rise, but it will only be Christ that will bring that ultimate peace in the end. Not us with our guns, not us with our philosophies, not us thinking rightly with our natural minds. But, you know, they, they look to say, hey, we're the ones who are going to stop this evil. And there's so many ways in which they think they're going to stop this evil. Voting for the right party, going to war with physical guns, or all these other strange doctrines that they've come up with. And it's my concern and my, my fear that these movements are going to cause people to get hurt or the loss of life. Because the ancients told us this would happen, but only when Christ returns will he bring the ultimate peace. We're not able to do that. Not on this earthly realm, not through our wisdom, not through our efforts. Through right effort, we can put these things off and perhaps cause them to not happen so quickly because some prophecies are conditional that way. But we can't put it off forever. And we certainly can't defeat it with our own devices when it does arise in our world. And this is one of the reasons I started this podcast. I talk a lot a lot about the conspiracies on my other show, The Spirit Side. But you can only go so deep with the spirituality and people are drawn to the controversy. People are drawn to the conspiracy. And I don't want to be primarily that kind of voice in the world or in the podcasting world. Which is why, for me personally, I'm focusing a little bit more energy here at times because I want people to understand the truth, the world we're living in, how far we've gotten from the ancient faith. I was listening to a gentleman on YouTube uh, the other day who I had on my show a couple times on the spirit side, a gentleman by the name of Derek Rose. And I don't mean to drop names, but then again, maybe I do. Maybe he will hear this. I don't know that he would listen uh, or not, uh, but I heard him make a statement um, in one of his recent videos. He said, you know, with the evil rising in the world, this is not the time 
to revert back to old belief systems or traditions that we were taught in the past at that time is over. What we must do now is this new thing as we understand Christ in a new way or perhaps in the right way. And there's a lot of people that believe and say that sort of thing. And I say to that, no, it's not. It's not time to forget the traditions of the past. Because those traditions and those teachings of the past are what told us about what's happening right now in our world and how Christianity would respond to it or what kind of a shamble Christianity would be in by the time we've gotten to that place and what we need to look out for, what we need to avoid, what kind of teachings we need to avoid, what kind of heresies we need to avoid. So is the time for the old comfortable traditions and religions over with? For the things a lot of the institutions have taught us, yes, I agree. Because there are so many churches that were very lax in educating the people who sat in their pews every week with anything that was of any real value. And I don't mean that to be cutting or insulting. I just mean that as far as the deep things of God that the ancients would talk about in their meetings, again, we forgot about that. We didn't do that anymore. And so the information that the people got was sometimes not a whole lot of information at all. So I, I, I do agree that those things, we, we have to put those things away. But the bedrock of our faith, those teachings, those traditions, those are the things we need to look back to because if we're ripping away from them, as many have, then we're starting to come up with our own interpretations of the prophecies of who or what Christ is, what it means, how we should react to these times when they happen in our world. And that's where we can get into trouble and that's where we can get people hurt. That's where we can get people killed. And I have a great deal of concern for a lot of people out there right now because we're living in a world of modern Christian speculation rather than ancient, ancient tradition that told us this would happen and where we would be at some point in the future in those final days and that's why I've used some of these examples of what's on my small altar on my bookshelf top because a lot of modern Christians would look at that and say oh my gosh what is that or oh my gosh you shouldn't have that or oh my gosh you shouldn't do that and they don't realize that they're actually demonizing 
the Christianity of the past, the Christianity of the apostles, the, the Christianity of the students of the apostles who were the fathers of the, the church and the early saints, and then the people that they taught and the people that they taught. How could it be that we would look back on the people that were closest to the event of Christ's life, teachings, and death, and resurrection, and say they were wrong. Over 2,000 years later, only now do we have it right. Do we understand? Do we see things correctly and know how to proceed in this Christian faith? Good gosh, what... What a horrible mistake that is. Isn't that a bit like looking at the people who invented or the the people who invented a rat poison and said humans should not eat this? But over 2000 years later somebody decides they were wrong even though they invented it. It's okay for us to eat and start handing it out to their family and their friends and their adherents. It's kind of the same thing. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation on this podcast. Because hopefully, maybe, it will stir the hearts and the souls and the thinking of a few people to re-examine what they believe, what they're being taught, and what they're teaching because we're getting into very dangerous waters in the modern world. It's time to put ego and pride and vanity and all of that aside and get real with God, get real with Christ and find out what it is exactly that we believe and even what the ancients said we should believe this is the deposit of the faith and then maybe start to examine how far we've come from that deposit of faith I hope this podcast was a blessing to you today I hope that you really got something out of it I hope it will strengthen your connection and your relationship with God and with Christ and bring you back to the traditions and the faith of the ancients that is so important, but in our modern world has been so forgotten. I'm Paul James Caden. I thank you for listening. I'll see you next time here on the Mystic Fire. Until then, be safe, be healthy, and God bless.